Hey, kia ora guys. Before we get started today, just a couple of quick check-ins. One, this is an extremely edited version of the interview I did with Hotten Sensei. So you'll be able to see my full interview with Hotten Sensei on my YouTube page. I'll put in a link. Also, if you wanted to get hold of Hotten Sensei, you can do so via Sunday Morning Kekko on Facebook and also look at joining the organisation or rather the movement. So I also want to do a big shout out to Open Parish Senpai for organising this interview and also being a part of it. Enjoy guys. So uh, first of all, I'd like to take this opportunity. Kia ora everybody. Welcome to the Invisible Sensei podcast. We've got a special one today. I've got two special guests. Um, the first is Open Parish, who's a karateka, a karate sister of sorts. Uh, over there in beautiful California, who's been a big supporter of this podcast and at times been one of those people that I've lent on for some advice about how I should do and things I should keep and things I should let go. So I just want to thank you, Open, for being there. Uh, and my other guest is Sensei Rick Hotton. Now, if you don't know Sensei Rick Hotton, you probably haven't been on YouTube and you probably don't do karate. A lot of the a lot of my friends that are practitioners and instructors and so on and so forth are very familiar with your work uh, through the internet, through Facebook. I think particularly on YouTube, I came to. I think I stumbled across someone shared a lesson. I think you did, and it might have been 2016. And from then on, I've just absolutely been hooked. Um, what what is it that has led you to? For me, I suppose, transcend the style that you do to become, when I look at what you do, it doesn't seem to be a style, it seems to be more of an approach and a lifestyle. Well, uh, I suppose, I suppose I live a lot in my right hemisphere of my brain, uh, probably just even when I was a young person, I was gravitated much more towards the things that were art related than, than sort of the analytical sort of um, things separated into discrete units uh, and that probably was just my natural inclination but then to teach some of the best teachers that I've had along the way I would say perhaps like Satomi Sensei, my Matsugi Satomi Sensei, my Aikido teacher is probably even more in that right uh, hemisphere than I am so for him you know he says you know uh, there is no such thing as style. It's basically just martial wisdom. And I really appreciate that approach because I've learned that it it allows everything to, in a way, cross-inform everything else. That in fact, when we segment our, our ways and compartmentalize our ways of looking at anything, to a certain degree, by default, you limit yourself from sort of this everything is everything approach. And that's become sort of my mantra that everything is everything. With that said, uh, when it comes to actually technically performing movement, I think in terms of everything being a feeling, and I like that word because it's, it's such an all-inclusive, sort of all-encompassing uh, sensation, I guess you could say. It takes in consideration how your body's contracting, your mental attitude when you're doing it, your, the kinesthetic sense of how you're holding yourself in space, how your relationship is moving dynamically with an opponent. So I think that in many ways, your objective is that there is an, a correct feeling behind every technique, and, and that's really the essence of it. And what you're trying to do is sort of come to terms with that, so to really feel that 
you know, deep in your in your being, and it it takes into consideration nuance. It's like somebody one time told me the Japanese word for weather is is tenki, and basically what that means is it's like the energy of the heaven, which is just a very broad term. Someday it's moody, someday it's it's pleasant, and but every day is a little bit different than the next, but. In in the West, we tend to say, well, it's uh, it's storming or it's sunny or maybe it's overcast, and it doesn't take in consideration all the nuance. So after training now, I guess almost 50 years, I think you know you're always on the hunt for that more refined sense of nuance. So when you think in terms of feeling, I think it just it defines a type of approach that allows your body to assimilate that experience. So. When you were talking about that, I guess for me in terms of my cultural lens, I look at that as my spirit is where I sit and my intent is what I project. In terms of your karate and in terms of your martial practice, um, what is it that you are trying to project? Um, you know, we talk about zanchen and all of those sort of concepts, but one of the things you've talked about is that it's not only about a combative exchange or it's not only about moving uh, in an adversarial way. What is it, where is it that you sit and what is it that you project? I think there's always this sort of hunt for what is the essence? You know, that, that's sort of the seeker. The seeker's journey is to kind of reel, reel yourself back to some sense of the source or what it, what's really the essence or the essential quality that's operating. And what happens, I think, is when we go to a dojo, we learn various technique which are sort of fall out on the periphery, I would say. And we learn to articulate those and make them sort of second nature to our body. As we go through that process, we start to sense or feel the operating principle that is maybe a little more at the substrate of what we're doing. And, and that would be more things like, uh, like, like your, how you're comporting yourself, your posture, how you're sort of uh, extending your energy or, um, your zanshin, those elements, uh, I think those would be sort of like, like if the technique were the leaves of a tree, the principles that are sort of operating sort of underneath everything that are being fully integrated in your being are like the branches of the tree. And it's always been my ambition to like keep going deeper, like, you know, what, what the heck is at the core of the tree? What are you, what, what's the whole experience really about? And I think that's probably gonna be uh, an individual um, sort of understanding. I'm, being, I'm, not, I'm not saying everyone would have the same sense of it as I, but I think it's like really living in the moment. I think that for me is like the essence of what you're doing. And when I, when I think in that terms, I think very much that's how Ueshiba, uh, Aikido as explained to me by Satomi Sensei is not about technique. He says it's not I body though, it's Aikido. And uh, what you're trying to do is make this connection with the world around you at a given moment in time. And the more unadulterated and refined and pure that connection, the better. And I think the, what's interesting about martial arts is because it positions a body and the mind in a certain way and tra trains that, it cultivates the sense of bringing the totality of your being to some task at hand, whether it's defending against an opponent, but in a deeper context, the task at hand is a progressing moment as you encounter it in life. I would say that for me is what self-defense is, you know, self-defense is not necessarily just defeating somebody that wants to do you harm, but it's living your life in its totality so that when you're at the end of your life, you've lived 
uh, you know, something that honored your existence. So in many ways, I equate that with the terminology of self-defense. So that, that, if it wasn't for that, you know, I probably would have, I probably would have burned out a long time ago and went off and done something else. But, but I think what you do is you pick some sort of methodology that helps you weave a path back to the truth. It just so happens that this is for me karate. For somebody else, it could be calligraphy or you know the tea ceremony or some other form of artistry. But you you know you come to sort of approach what's really going on via some vehicle. And for me, that just so happened to be karate because it suited my persuasion. Now, we talk a lot about karateka or budoka or um, martial artists. I, I would term you, from my perspective, having met you for literally five minutes ago, <laughs> instead of a martial artist, I would go an artist martial. Oh, that's good, yeah. And for me, what is interesting about your approach to is, and then I've seen your um, use of weaponry, um, you're also an artist as well. You're also a cartoonist, and I, I in my own way, try. I love drawing and, and things and things of that nature myself. Where is the connection between what you do in the dojo and how is that expressed in what you do as an artist? I'm, and I mean that in the sense of you know, when you draw, paint, or whatever. What's, yeah. the, what's the connection point there? I think a long time ago, I. I recognized that there was a differentiation between, say, practicing a martial art and being a martial artist. Like, the martial artist was more uh, a change in your perspective. Like, you looked at the world in a certain way, and, uh, you know, it's, again, I would kind of say that's sort of the seeker's journey, where you're, you're really looking for, for truth and, and a sense of connection. And it so happens that you have an exercise that is somewhat explicit about teaching that. Even when you, I remember when I would watch Satomi Sensei, you, as you watch a demonstration, you would have to really develop a keen eye for seeing the essential thing that you were witnessing. In the beginning, it's very easy to be distracted by watching perhaps what he's doing with his hands or his feet. Now that never really got me anywhere. Then I'd look at sort of how he moved his center relative to the opponent, and that was a little bit better, it got me closer. But what I recognized was happening is was I was getting a little more acute at seeing the essence of what was actually happening. Then I started looking at sort of how he was just, his, uh, for lack of a better word, almost vibe that he was putting out, how he was presenting himself to the moment that was unfolding. And that got me even closer. So that sort of extrapolates, I think, into pretty much everything that you do. Uh, I remember a few years back, uh, I was very honored. One of the magazines wanted to do an interview and I would give these large belabored answers. And then I said, you know what? Instead of that, why don't you just print this cartoon I drew? Because in many ways, that cartoon was so succinctly said and probably more elegantly said something that I'm laboring on trying, trying to explain. So in a way, the, you know, I did not really even set out to write a syndicated comic strip. I was just, again, trying to find this connection. And because I can't play the guitar, I couldn't sing about it. So I started drawing about it. And in, it, for me, is my karate. Like, the, the, somebody wants to know what is the nature of the karate, I say, well, just, yeah, just read my cartoon and you maybe have a sense of that. So 
I think that idea that you know everything is everything, everything is sort of connected, and, and really it would be nice to get back. I think the world at large could sort of use a little bit of an inclination in that direction because even in the martial arts, when I was when I began karate in 1970, I was attracted to the sort of the mystique of the martial arts. It wasn't just the purely utilitarian aspect, although that was pretty cool too. But there was something deeper, sort of a hunt for epiphany that was really motivating for me. That's what kind of drove my practice. And um, I think today, you know, it's like the MMA guys are awesome, but it's like a purely utilitarian aspect of a martial practice. And, uh, and we tend, you know, the whole world kind of is about that, just sort of what, what is the utilitarian, you know, how am I actually going to see some tangible result tomorrow in what I do? And I think, you know, I, I tend to approach things from a more, you know, it's, it's an effort to kind of transcend yesterday, not to just learn to do a, a job better than yesterday. So, you know, I think maybe some of the issues of the world are, could be resolved with a movement in that direction, a feeling of interconnectedness, how about that? A feeling of connectedness to not just each other, but the creatures and the, and the environment, and recognizing that, you know, it's just all this sort of seamless tapestry that you're just a thread in, you know, you're not sort of out there on your own. So, yeah. Something deep inside, inside me sort of moves me in that direction. I just, I, I guess I can't even help that. Yeah. And long may that be the case. Um, to what extent has people not in the martial arts, such as, your, as, as perhaps your dad, have they informed your practice and your values in terms of how you teach? Okay, so that last part of your comment and then backing up sort of to the weapons part of the comment, the thought that crosses my mind is that one of the things that has served me uh, in my journey that I recognize pretty well is the ability to kind of see metaphor and extrapolate things in one sphere into a continuously larger and larger sphere. So something as simple as, well, yeah, you know, if you learn to articulate movement with a weapon, and you, so oftentimes a weapon is very good about being very explicit about how, because it accentuates the movement, how the particular gesture of a technique needs to be performed in order to make it correct, then that gets extrapolated into the empty hand technique. But I think that that ability to draw a metaphor and extrapolate something from a microcosm into a macrocosm is only uh, limited by your imagination. So I have constantly tried to extrapolate into bigger and bigger spheres my martial practice because to me, that kind of goes back to that idea where I'm not just practicing a martial art, but becoming a martial artist. So that change in perspective, that, that's, I think, the very transformative quality of what we're doing. Uh, I feel, you know, I had some guys one time come to my dojo. It was kind of comical. They were, they were awesome karateka. They were, I think, six, a couple six dons. We went out to lunch and they said to me, so sensei, what, what, is, what is the tr essence of karate? And just kind of from having trained with them in the class, I, I had a sense that they were looking towards for an answer that might be like Iken Hisatsu, like one punch kill, you know, sort of the, the mantra that we all kind of grew up in. And I said, I said, love, and wow, man, that was the longest pre pregnant pause I think I've ever experienced. <laughs> I mean, I could actually hear a dog barking in the distance. That's how long that, that pause went. But I don't necessarily mean that in a sentimental way, but that sense of connection to what we're to, to everything. That's like when you step, you step. 
like you commit yourself to every moment with that level of of connection and that's not i would that's not any different than maybe the advice of funakashi sensei where he would say spirit first you know you you let that sort of engage the reality and then your physicality kind of gets pulled into the void of that that space i i would call that love because it's not driven by any angst it's not there to to destroy anything it's there to find some sort of um i want to say harmony or connection or appreciation and i think it's only in our adolescent phase of our development that we tend to resist you know that we have a lot of want to a lot of desire a lot of but as you ease into your practice and maybe just into your life you find that it's really that awakening to how everything is really connected so again that those are my own epiphanies and you know other people would probably have their own particular take as it should be i mean i think one of the things that i would endorse and i have endorsed even through sunday morning keiko is that everyone should find their own karate motivated motivated by their deeper sentiments like what is it that you're you're trying to discover in your life and your spirit will probably be a pretty good guide it'll probably lead you to that i mean i think your subconscious mind kind of knows what you're hungry for before you can actually identify it and your training and your practice should be a vehicle to do that that's why i'm not a huge fan of the institutions kind of sitting back passively waiting for the institution to deliver because you know you're meant to kind of walk your own path now granted i think great organizations and certainly great teachers offer awesome advice and guidance and i mean that's how you they're, they're like signposts along the way that keep you on the path but ultimately you walk the path yourself and you know i was not a huge never really a huge bruce lee fan but i think one of the lines i really loved that he said was there's no knowledge but self knowledge you know it's really coming to terms with your own existence i mean so yeah i think that ability to see metaphor feel that sense of connection and then i don't put any label on you know when i say love i just simply mean a sense of connection to all things the true strength is is at times is vulnerability too and i think in terms of technique i mean you know you talk you know you you're talking that you're in a dangerous territory you're you're advocating people use their own experiential learning to enlighten themselves and you're saying that if i'm understanding correctly that you know institutions or be it organizations or whatever way you want to do hard whatever how you want to term that but I had no idea I was going to be talking to you and you're going to be such a rebel with this revolutionary talking. <laughs> well, I I tell you, you know, I I don't mean it in any way to be disrespectful because I mean, I think we should be deeply respectful. I I I mean, I have great respect for the guidance that I've been given by my teachers, but they didn't give it's more a great teacher or a great organization doesn't explain their vision to you. They sort of allow you to stand next to them and see it see it for yourself. And I think that that is the best teaching is in the realm of provocation you know you sort of open a door that allows somebody to kind of go forward and explore themselves and and find their way so uh i think if done correctly an organization can be an awesome tool to do that uh, even with the sunday morning keiko group it, for me it's more about creating an environment and an atmosphere that is uh that has that allows that to come to fruition it's like fertile ground for that to come to fruition and certainly there are people that have skill sets far outside of mine in in different categories and i want to also be a part of that as well so i kind of like the idea of a village raising the next generation i think that's the that's the model for the world going forward because the other one is those methods are a little bit outmoded they're not really getting us anywhere anymore and we're actually getting to the point where um it's straining the system so Yeah. yeah.
and training with different and teaching different stylists, uh, different approaches, what's the commonality that you have found in the countries, uh, the styles and the, and the practitioners that you've met and been to? Uh, well, first of all, uh, I am struck by the quality of just the people that I meet. I mean, I, to be quite honest, I, I, I have always been an extreme introvert. I'm probably, I'm, I'm, I think they call it a highly functioning introvert. So it wasn't until one of my students put the, uh, suggested we put the videos on YouTube and actually I was quite resistant in the beginning and I certainly didn't want to ever talk to the camera because I was a little mortified. I, I, I'm not a big fan of people that get on the internet and try to tell people how they should or shouldn't be doing their martial art. He said, well, no, let's just do it as if it were a fly on the wall and let people just sort of participate in the experience of the lesson. I'm like, well, okay, maybe. But I have to say, the, the traction that it got allowed this guy that was an introvert that probably, you know, I, I taught karate in Sarasota at the time for about 40 years. I just, I had a small dojo and a group of people. But that allowed me then to go out into the world. And I remember one night I was in a hotel in Norway and I just, I was really overcome by the fact that, you know, it's almost like, like oddly the world thanks you for spending your whole life doing something in a weird way that just sort of happened like that and because the people i met were just amazing i mean they were just amazing uh caliber of folks uh very open i mean and they had um, they had their own unbelievable skill sets and things that they did in their lives and so i guess that that common humanity if you want to say anything was like probably at the basis of it all and that respect and that, that that goodwill and that feeling of connection and that you're kind of blessed to be moving through uh, life at the same moment in time. I mean, the, the chances of that, I mean, you just kind of wake up to that realization. So I would say that's probably the deepest epiphany I had from the commonality was that we were all here together, oddly invited to the party at the same time. And, and in a funny way, whether we recognized it or not, we were appreciative of that. We were really happy to see each other, to train together, uh, to not be trying to uh, force anybody, a dogma onto anybody else, just naturally enjoying our lives. And I think that was amazing. Technically in the more, in the karate, I just, like I said, I think there are a lot of times on the videos, people say, oh, that's, that's Goju Ryui's teaching, or that's a technique we do in Tai Chi. I hear that all the time. Uh, one guy even said, well, this is, I, we're doing this in our, my guitar class right now. So there are things in human performance that are sort of almost common denominators if you're really tuned into your body. And I would say not even just the body, because there is this kind of conduit between your psyche, what you're thinking, how you're projecting your intention that informs the physical experience, that those two things are in many ways seamless. And people say, what is the mind-body connection? I, don't, I think that's, that's, that's ever-present everywhere. Um, so uh, even, I mean, if you want to take a, a simple example, it would be just how you stand. Like if you're standing in a ready stance, or you're getting up from seiza, or you're engage in Kumite, you know, you want to have this sort of elongated sort of axial elongation. So your, your spine is really straight and your shoulders are, are sort of hanging very naturally on that frame. You're very mindful of your center. You're projecting your energy forward. Your breath is regulated. And I would say, you know, a, a music teacher in Juilliard might say exactly the same thing. And in fact, one time, an interesting story, one time I was in a room and uh, uh, it was after our training class and uh, Ushiro Kenji Ushiro-sensei was there, was, we were all socializing and a gentleman was playing the guitar in the corner. 
and he sort of went over there. So he was, he was watching, and I was over across the room kind of watching him watch. And, uh, you know, I, I sensed he was picking up on something. So he walked over to the guy, and he sort of put his hand on his shoulder and kind of pulled on his neck a little bit. And just, just by touching him, kind of just changed the way he was holding his energy and his body. And then all of a sudden, this guy was playing differently. And he was amazed he was playing differently. And so I think, I think that, that element, you know, those principles are sort of universal in human performance. And when you get past the, whether it's this or that, it's like Nishiyama Sensei said near the end, he said, it's not Shotokan and Karate, it's just Karate. When Satomi Sensei talks to me, he says, Rick, everything is Aikido. I say, hi Sensei, everything is Karate. And he says, exactly. So I think that's sort of the place that I want to sort of position my perception. If I may, I'd like to um, drag Paul Open, who set up this interview, into the discussion, if I can, Open, who's been sitting there very quietly taking it all in. Um, Open, you've you've trained quite a bit physically with uh, Sensei. Um, you've got a Shotokan background. So what is it like training with the artist Marshall in your experience? What, what sort of things do you gain and glean out of, out of his training? I would say... It's a perspective shift that is difficult to find. Um, so much of uh, karate seminars, I mean, I can't speak to individual dojos because I have not trained in very many different ones, but seminars seem to be so focused on um, cramming as much um, precise technicality into that time frame as possible and there's not a lot of attention paid I think to um, to what Rick Sensei was speaking about just now in, in terms of feeling and um, intent and just the whole experience so being able to train with him opened um, it opened a lot of doors that I knew were there, I just didn't know how to open them in terms of where I wanted my own practice to evolve. Like stuff that was already inside me, but I didn't have any kind of uh, a guidepost. Um, Sensei, do you, I get the feeling that when you go and teach a Gashuku, maybe there's a basic plan, but do you find yourself adapting to the situation as an you walk into the room are you do you walk in with a kind of a, a preconceived notion of what you're going to do and, and let that go um do you react to the people what what if if there is such a thing to use it yeah. use a strange term what's your process yeah well actually i you know i teach with other a few other instructors quite a bit and as we you know head into the gym or the breakfast before they they have a less they have a lesson plan and uh you know, they always ask me, you know, what, so what are you going to teach? And, you know, I honestly say, I honestly never really have a plan. And I purposely don't do that because um, I, I think it's all about just kind of sensing what, what's going Now, I, with that said, I should also say, you know, there's certain elements that I, I would say are at so, sort of the substrate of what I found to, to be really effective. And so certain leaps or epiphanies in my past, I say, well, that, I would really like to share that with folks because that really made a big difference. So those are sort of always in the back of my mind subconsciously. But I think that the trick is to sort of just find that direct connection at the moment because 
what I tend to do is not really, I tend to just talk about whatever is really interesting on my mind and let that be sort of a conduit to like pass on through me to somebody else. And if I, if I weren't to do that, it might be forced or it might not have that kind of energetic that is kind of uh, born from my own inquiry. I think it's my own inquiry that has gotten me this far. And when I teach somewhere, I'm like just basically sharing that experience, opening the door to that experience at that moment. What, what am I thinking about? And of course, you know, you're going to get feedback from watching folks. You say, well, you know, they they could maybe, you know, move a certain, have a couple, maybe some suggestions here or there. But overwhelmingly, I think it's just a matter of connecting with what you're witnessing and what you're thinking about at that moment and just kind of open that up and let the floodgate kind of go. I had an interesting conversation uh, in the alley the other day with Satomi Sensei. This was a, a little bit along those lines. And... Uh, Somehow we got to talking about O-sensei and the quality of, of just the quality of genius. Like, what is genius? Because we can say that the founder of Aikido, Morai Ueshiba, was a martial art genius. And uh, Satomi Sensei had an interesting thing. He said, it's, ba it's all it is is your connection to the other. It's that sense of connection to the other. It's not necessarily uh, achieved through the orthodoxy. It's not necessarily uh, achieved through some sort of uh, academic acumen. It's really about just this un unadulterated ability to see and make that connection. And I think we witness that even if in like folk art, you know, where some, somebody never went to art school, but they create something that we all can resonate with. And it's like, wow, there's a bit of a mastery there. Like, how did that happen? So along those lines, you know, maybe that's a bit of the Zen of it. I just, I think you have to just catch the moment and have confidence and faith that that's going to happen. I mean, if I sat about, sat around, I could probably get myself freaked out a little bit that that wouldn't happen, but I don't even entertain that idea. I just let it go. And uh, so far it, it, it sort of, it happens that way. And I think that's testament of that type of approach, perhaps. It, I mean, the lessons themselves are actually quite explicit and, um, I mean, it's and it's often at a very uh, subconscious level. But when you when you look back in retrospect, you see the beauty of the design. For instance, let's just if you were just to say uh, everything in in the world is basically energy, then part of existence is how do you focus energy? They'll say, well, wow, karate actually teaches that. It teaches you how you stand in a particular way where you maximize the energy of your body going into a in a particular direction. So, I mean, there's just, um, there's all these technical elements that sort of have, uh, they have an effect on your mind. And, and so the effect on your mind, because karate is very, is very much about dealing with a moment of conflict and in its origin, an extreme moment of conflict, maybe the moment of, of life and death. But that sort of methodology, it, rem it reminds me a little bit too, of like for example, uh, in Aikido, I, would, I got to the point where I was thinking to myself, Aikido is really just a philosophy manifest in technique. And I think that's what O-sensei was trying to do. Instead of, he was trying to teach technique that represented an approach. And that each technique was really uh, some semblance of that approach, but what was that the essence of it was not the technique, but was this approach. And the, the beauty of doing it via your body is that it is internalized. Like you can read a book, a Zen book or something, and you can make some sort of, uh, have some sort of understanding of that. But understanding and realization are like two completely different things. You know, a realization is an experiential, like you feel it in your marrow. Like, like, and so I think Aikido, as opposed to reading a, a wonderfully engaging philosophical book, you actually had to go out and feel those 
principles via the sinew of your body. And by virtue of that, it goes in. I mean, you and it start to become inextricably connected. So I would view a practice very much as that, that it is, that it really it's about an approach somehow materialized in this gesture of action that has an effect that allows you to make those sorts of connections. It's like, it reminds me, it reminds me a little bit of, you know, I remember years ago, there was a psychological study where they took depressed people and they had them smile, 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 smile. And then through the sheer act of smiling, they got happier. I mean, the physical act of smiling changed their disposition. Uh, you know, I think a lot of people, there's, they have energy that's very helter skelter. And you see that in a beginning student. I mean, they're all over the place. They're not only is their body all over the place, but when they're blinking constantly, their eyes are diverted. But watch, watch your dojo mates. After maybe, you know, around brown belt level, three or four years of practice, uh, they're not really doing that as much anymore. They're not blinking as much. And the folks that have been training 10 years, I mean, their psyche, their eye, their technique, their shoulders are down, their eye is way out in an infinite point. So it has this way of manifesting your totality in its connection to the moment. And it does it in a very subtle way that you're probably unaware of until you realize unwittingly you're not the same anymore. Um, I want to read this question to you if I can and get you to get your response to it. It, sure. it I guess it's sort of um, in part a uh, question and part a statement. And okay. it's from a very good friend of mine, Gorjuru, Okinawan Gorjuru Karate Sensei here in New Zealand, um, named Mike Dombrowski. It seems that originally, according to some historic accounts, the art of karate was not defined by different styles. And that, in fact, the need for the original masters to name their karate was, to a large extent, brought about by Japanese influence on the Okinawan schools of karate. What transpired over the years was a number of styles, most of which then chose a syllabus of kata and steadily grew apart from each other in terms of technique and form. However, Sensei Hotten, may I say that watching and listening to you restores in me the belief that there aren't really different styles, that the concepts and principles that some would say are advanced are really much more the same across the styles than are different. Being a practitioner of Gojuru, there is much you talk about and demonstrate that is relevant to my Gojuru, despite you practicing under the name of a different style. It seems a cycle exists. First, when you turn up to a dojo, learn karate and don't understand what style what styles exist. And which and which you're which you're a part of, then as time goes by, an awareness of your style grows, and a separation from other style or forms. Until then, when you grow past that, uh, when you grow past that, karate becomes one again, and there are no styles. You since have epitomised that for me. I love to hear your thoughts on this. Kind regards and much respect, Mike Dombrowski, Sensei New Zealand. Great question. Great comment. Um, I think I think it really has a lot to do, like I said a bit earlier, about sort of which hemisphere of your brain you live in. I think, uh, and I think when we're young, when we're children, we're very much in the right hemisphere. We're very much experience-based. I would say, for example, if you're in a room and you're a young child, and a bird flies in the room, there's this there's this cornucopia of sensation and color and sound and how it's affecting you and how it's changed the the mood in the room. And then you know, mom turns to you and says, oh honey, it's just a bird. And then all of a sudden that whole sort of experiential right hemisphere of your brain is collapsed down into this simple discrete element called a bird. And so I think, I tend to think life should be more verb-like than noun-like. 
that what happens is that you know in order to describe the mystery that's happening in this sort of uh, world of the right hemisphere we the, the left hemisphere kind of pulls itself out and observes it and 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 creates elements of discrete I mean even linguistics I would say is a, is a part of that um, there's a great book, uh, The Origin of Consciousness and the Bicambrial Mind, where they talk a little bit about that, or another book called um, The Master and His Emissary. The master being the right hemisphere that is just the experience of living, the poetry, the all-inclusiveness, the thing you learn from a stormy seashore, and that the, the, the left hemisphere is always kind of stepping outside of that and trying to make sense of it. And I think to some degree, this is an evolution of how our consciousness and minds work, probably out of uh, necessity. I mean, you have to learn how to, at one point, throw a spear at a buffalo or how to build a shelter. So there was, there had to be a linear way of thinking that got you through life. But as Carl Jung said, the best place is when you live when the, with those two realities in balance. Uh, as I progress in my martial art, I, I think, you know, it's like when we're young, we're cast out into a sea and we spend our whole life kind of reeling ourselves back to that source like i want to get back to that when i see a bird fly into a room to take in the totality of that experience as uh you know some element of my life at that moment i talked to satome sensei he says no such thing as style nishiyama sensei you know there it's not shotokan karate it's just karate i like to think in terms of what i what I'm learning is a type of body intelligence. It's just a martial wisdom and it sort of transcends any uh, demarcation of this or that. So, yeah. And even when I walk, you know, I, I was on my deck about a year ago and I was watching a snail pull itself across my deck and I'm like, damn, that's that's how you move in forward stance. There you uh, go. Sensei, how important is a sense of humor in all this? Oh, it's, I think it's, you know, it's like the comedy and tragedy mask of life. I really believe that a sense of humor, you know, joy, when I drew the cartoon, I mean, I, I tend to like the ones that have some sort of element. The, the, I know people wanted a fun cartoon and, uh, you know, something that uplifted you. And I, ha I have to say, there's a lot of credibility in that because uh, joy in the heart is a state of grace. I mean, it is its own epiphany. Um, on the flip side, you know, the, the comments that I really enjoyed the most is somebody would say to me, wow, I read your cartoon in the morning and it meant this. And later on, no, I thought it actually meant something different. But when I went to bed, then I really, re then I figured out what you're actually trying to say. And then they tell me that, and I have no idea what they're talking about. But that's, you know, that's that it, they found meaning. And that, I think that's what's really important about art or any sort of interaction is sort of how you extrapolate meaning that, that adds to your, your life story. So yes, I think, I think life is sort of that comedy tragedy mask. I mean, on one hand, I had a great teacher one time said, live your life like you have three days left. Or another teacher said, live like you're dead already. I think those, those, those when, it, when you first hear those, they're a bit startling. But what it does is it generates an energy in you of appreciation. Like, I, I, interesting that two days ago, I watched a video about a fellow dying, he's 95 years old. And his, his observation was he sits out on his deck and he watches the wind go through the trees and he sees this immense beauty and he wonders why he didn't see that his whole life. And it's because it's juxtaposed against this impermanence, I, I, I would imagine. I mean, I think that's what it is. And it would be great if you could feel that all the time without some sort of looming impermanence, but on the horizon. So it's it, those two things are very inter, interwoven. I mean, a sense of your sort of temporary nature is the thing that ignites your joy and what allows you 
to marvel at things like just the wind blowing through some some trees because i think that is an element of grace in in terms of where the world is right now yeah it has the word impermanence and, and letting go of it and attachment have interesting connotations and it's been really interesting when you talk about impermanence and, and letting go of attachment the things that have come through this process of of being attached to the wrong kinds of things or to things that really don't feed you or or to yeah. animals i'm saying to my partner um as i do every day gee i wish we could go and i, and I don't mean any disrespect to anyone listening to this i'd love to go to i'd love to go back to lockdown because it's not the lockdown that i enjoyed but it was the connection mm. when you're talking about um with karate i mean i found you know a really wonderful training period for me was during that because i wasn't using karate as an escape from something rather than a, a door to something open do you have any thoughts i mean for you now as a practitioner trying to uh, internalize your your karate how does that impact upon your day-to-day i guess where where you're at in terms of just life in general well, I would say it's helped me connect more with my intrinsic motivation rather than any sort of consideration of what my karate looks like to anyone else. Um, you know, it, practicing in a group, it's human nature to have some sort of, some level of concern or awareness or even anxiety about what the other individuals in the group are uh, how they're perceiving you but you know being although I miss, I miss training in a group greatly um, practicing alone most of the time has allowed me to, to I guess shed my last vestiges of that sort of anxiety and and deepen my connection with my real my deepest motivation for pursuing this you know this lifestyle this art it's um it, there's a sort of clarity that's come from it that is easy to lose sight of then you know in a in a busier environment or in a in a in a noisier environment when there's more individuals in, that you're interacting with i've had a, a hamstring strain uh for the last uh, i did it this i did it exactly a week ago today and I've been very training very, very lightly. When I say very, very lightly, lightly, I mean I'm watching a lot of YouTube um, videos. And um, <laughs> so this morning I went to the dojo and I thought I'm just gonna. I wanted to do have be in a good place in an open place to conduct this interview. And I went in, and it was funny because I was going. I was going. It wasn't an issue of training around the injury. It was an issue of bringing the injury in and not being attached to how I looked. So, for for I guess in closing, Sensei, I'm interested to know, in terms of karate and someone who's trained for 50 years, what is it that you attach? What is it that you have been attached to that you have now, as you've moved through your practice, you've let go? You know, and to some degree, circumstance. It's like this interesting blend between a circumstance and your own ambition. Um, like, like you were saying a moment ago about the, with the COVID and the lockdown and 
how that's disrupted everyone's life, but but in a funny way, everyone's gotten a little more deliberate, a little more um, introspective. I'm guessing people, their gardens at their houses look better. My relationship with my cat is much better than it ever was before. Um, so, uh, you know, I think the human capacity to to see the good and sort of, even in a bad circumstance, it reminds me of that old parable where the, the fellow has a horse and then it falls and breaks its leg and he thinks it's such bad news and then a war breaks out and all the horses are commissioned, but his horse, so that wasn't such bad news. So I think, you know, even when I was in my late, so my, my karate was always very physical. Uh, I'm not a big guy, I'm, I'm about 138 pounds. I'm, five foot six, but I was always able to do things that required some coordination or athleticism. So that was sort of like just my general makeup as a young person. So I put a lot of my identity in that quality. Like I could just do things and I could, someone could show me something and I would do it. Then around my late twenties, I developed a very severe rheumatic disease, a type of arthritis in my back. And wow, it really changed it rocked my world because I can no longer could see myself as this where my identity was sort of placed in this very physical realm that all my uh, how I had viewed myself was always based on that and now that I could no longer see it and what it did it forced me to step outside of that and see my existence in a much larger context and I remember at the time I read many of I read Alan Watts I read uh, many books on Zen Suzuki's book on Zen and I just I really I, I tried to find deeper meaning in my practice that superseded just the physical expression then of course you know uh, being a martial artist I did everything I could to heal myself and you know the rheumatologist said I was going to be in a wheelchair but I'm like yeah I'm not gonna I'm not gonna take that laying down you know so I I started paying very close attention to my body. I changed my diet completely. I did a lot of cleansing of my body. I did a lot of visualization. Uh, and within about a two or three year period, I pulled myself out of that to the point where I had didn't even have that problem, which they told me I would never come out of that. And I think that that fortitude of getting through that was was partly my martial art practice up to that point but it was also this hope and this ambition for always something like being very optimistic it's like in the movie Shawshank Redemption they say there's a great line it says hope's a good thing maybe the best of things like when you position your mind in that space you sort of make opportunity sort of unfold in that particular direction so at least you're not a self-limiting and that then those times that I went through and I ended up reading all these books, these Zen books, and I was forced to look at myself outside of the context of my physicality. Then when I came back to my physicality, it was totally different. I mean, it wasn't, that wasn't my necessarily my thing anymore. It was like a much more all-inclusive thing. And that was just maybe one aspect of the expression of it. So to some degree, life circumstance and how you negotiate that, you know, will determine whether, um, it manifests in a positive way or, or not, not so positive way. So I think that that idea of looking at my karate in a very one dimensional, you know, a lot of times people say budo karate, like it's destroying the opponent karate. Yeah, I let go of that a long time ago. I mean, I don't think about that at all anymore. And, um, you know, so you just, you're, and I would, I would hope that, you know, 10 years from now, I'll say, wow, I, my thinking was pretty small back there when I had that interview with that fellow. You know, I want my, I would like it 
it's like the phoenix rising up. You're constantly reinventing yourself, you know, you're constantly moving forward. And uh, you just have to not worry about being judged in that regard uh, and just appreciate the blessing of your life and how it transpires. Uh, gosh, there's so much in there. And I promised myself I wasn't going to cry when we said goodbye. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to be very stoic. I'm to be very stoic. Um, for me, Sensei, one of the things I can say is that I know for me and many of my friends who do martial arts, you're a bit of a an enigma in the sense that when I watch you do your karate, I, you know, because as, as a gorjuru practitioner, we're very much bunkai orientated. Yeah. Uh, and it's just kind of maybe that's the to, to make up for certain I don't know whatever shortcomings. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yet, when I watch you do your explanations of bunkai, it's all about I don't look at your your kata or your karate and think what's the bunkai, what's the application, how does that work? Because you're able to see that your karate suggests. Now you're always saying, well, the movement suggests this, and to be quite honest, I've started to completely steal that terminology. I'm going, you know, when you're doing you're doing a particular bunkai, that yeah. what it suggests to me, rather than saying it is this, it is this, it is this, and it's speaking in terms of it is set in concrete. This is the way to do it, our way to do it, the only way to do it. So what I've appreciated about your influence on the community is that it's showing that we have, even in, in terms of how you articulate those concepts, it's showing that we actually all have a voice, we have a story, and we... Absolutely. Oh my God. Absolutely. Yeah, that, I mean, if there's anything that I would love to offer is people, the, the um, sense of that, stepping into that, you know, and kind of um, guiding and, and feeling confident about and with that said, you know, I'm, I, that's always been my approach. You know, I, I train, I teach a lot with these fellows that are, they have this pedigree, they go, go through these instructors training programs. I did nothing like that. I, I spent hours in my backyard listening to my body. It's like a totally different approach. And I would, I would, I mean, for me, that's what worked. And I would recommend that everybody to some degree just get really quiet and, and listen to your body. Be be the hardest person on yourself. I mean, you demand the most out of yourself. It's not like, you know, you rest on your natural skills. I'm always trying to shore up my weakest link. I'm very, very hard on that. But, you know, just being very quiet and sort of a, a, to some degree a self-guided practice that is as truthful and as uh, honest as possible is, you know, when you're alone at night and no one's around and you're out in the backyard training, it's just you, the, the wind on your skin, the moon above you and your karate. I mean, there's nothing more amazing and nothing more of a learning experience than that. So, yeah, I think that that, and then the other thing too, I, when you talk about like, like the bunkai and all, the thought that crossed my mind is one of the things that I've been thinking a lot about lately is just you know, you can think of your karate in the utilitarian context, and I do. I mean, I spend a lot of time doing that, and I want my karate to be effective and very precise. But, but then I can actually not think of it that way. And when I'm doing kata, just really feel the sensation of my body, like a, a really um, heightened sense of body awareness, so I can feel my little toe grab the floor. And when I make it, when I perform a technique, I can feel that internal line inside the technique that's resonating. And so I can be very tuned into that. So that's a, that's a totally different way of thinking about it. And then I can like pick another perspective and think my karate is really just about 
how do I focus energy? Because really everything in life is just a sea of energy. So how does my intention do that? Now I'm not even thinking about what my body's doing. I'm just thinking about my intention as a commodity and that my technique to some degree is just a slave to that commodity. Like I extend my intention and my hands or my kick or whatever fall along the lines of that. So I think it's, for me, it's very important to kind of have this continuously different perspective on my training so that it becomes very holistic. I don't just cut one particular groove. And, you know, as I get older and maybe cannot, you know, when I'm 62, going to be 62, when I'm in my 80s and I can't perform my karate perhaps physically the way I'm performing it now, I still want to have vistas and that I have not uncharted territory that I'm still voraciously hungering for. I think this is part of the energy of life and I, I don't want to ever uh, surrender to that or have placed all my identity in one particular category. So. Well, yeah. It's also depressing that you're 62 and I'm 48 and you can still do all the stuff that I can't do. So you can question my dreams. Well, so I thought you were going to be all motivational. I thought I was going to come with motivated. Instead, I come away feeling like a hippo. <laughs> <laughs> No, you, you know, the thing is, I'm sure there are things that you present in your karate that I, I could not present because, we, no, seriously, I don't, and I don't mean that. I, I, I honestly mean that. I honestly mean that. Uh, and I think, you know, everybody has, uh, you know, something beautiful about their being. And, and the trick is to how do you align that with your practice and let that just kind of come out. And when, it, when it's done well, it, you know, whether it's through the orthodoxy or not, it's like beautiful folk art. You know, it's like you, everybody recognizes it. It's something of great honesty and authenticity. And I remember reading that book when I was a kid, you know, Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, and he talked about that quality of, of authenticity. And I would say, this is, this is your objective more than anything, is to, to find that via your practice. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, certainly we, you know, we all bring something really important to it, and I, I, I honestly believe that as well. I mean, I, I mean you've, you've got some experience with karate, but when you're ready to ascend to the level of being able to eat a, a Big Mac, in just two bites. I will, I will be the teacher. I will guide you up that mountain. Since okay. That sounds lovely. Let's go for it. <laughs> You're ready, okay? There's a bit of training you've got to do. Um, I'm going to need you to put on about another... Well, I got I to gotta tell you a real quick story. Years ago, I was in California with my girlfriend at the time, and, and I was this was right when I was sort of, you know, really conscientious about my diet. I kind of established this diet, healing myself of the arthritis and all of that. And it kind of stuck with me for years. And she said, we should go to Fat Burger. I'm like, oh my God, you want to go to Fat Burger? I mean, li literally their motto on the door is, you'll find no sun-dried tomatoes here. And so she bugged me over, <laughs> she bugged me over and over again to go to Fat Burger. And finally, just out of, you know, I just finally conceded, oh my God, that was an amazing experience. I mean, Fat Burger was good, <laughs> just saying. <laughs> so I, I get that. Say so, um, thank you to you both. Um, particularly open for your um, support of this podcast just by listening to it. You might be, I know that you're one of the eight people that does on a regular basis, I think. <laughs> um, Sensei Hotton, it's been an absolute honor. I, I'm completely sincere in wanting to get you down to New Zealand and Australia. I think that um, our community would be better for it. Um, you've got, and I've said to this in Oban, uh, to Oban in the past, you've got an untapped well of people who would love to train with you. And I think that um, it would be a, a hugely rewarding experience for everyone involved. And I hope that we can make it a reality at some point. Um, 
And thank you for taking the time, both of you. It means a great deal to me. Um, Sensei's got, um, I can see, I think it's a training space behind you because I, I think I could see. Oh, yeah. you know, this is this, the sanctuary. This is my Zendo upstairs in my house. It's, it's lovely. <laughs> then you go and show me the dream dojo. And then you go. <laughs> yes, well, you know what you should do at some point? You should come here because it is uh, it is like a martial art Airbnb. I purposely designed it with a whole second half of the house for all my newfound friends to come and visit and we can train and have a bottle of wine and carry on the conversation. So whether near or far, whether near or far, we are always friends. Thanks, Sensei. Um, thank, um, thank you so much, Open. Do you have anything you'd like to add in closing, Open? Uh, well, I want to thank you for the podcast because I think you cover a lot of um, very valuable topics that don't get enough visibility. And I think that it helps to promote a kind of connection and interbeing that the martial arts world could really benefit from. And um, it's rare and there needs to be more of it. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Um, and, and just really quickly, just to, just to end on, to be honest, since I, you know, you, you made reference to some wonderful books. I will tell you that I didn't learn to read until I was 25. So in my formative years, uh, I, I read uh, such um, amazing books as uh, Batman, uh, Superman, huge, huge, uh, huge influences on my karate. Uh, Batman, of course, because uh, you know he went and trained all these places, but he had so much money that I, I, I related to the training, but not the travel or the money or the tragedy, in fact. So uh, if you get a chance, do take some time and read a bit of Batman. Thank you again. Okay. I'm hoping we can do this again, Sensei uh, Oven. You're both welcome at any time. Um, yeah, as I say, Sensei, it's been an absolute honor and a pleasure. Please keep doing doing that. And when it is, and when the um, when the borders come down and we're all in a better place, I would absolutely uh, love to come up and experience Sunday morning kickle and that beautiful yeah. room that you're in. If you can yeah. see, it, you just can't see it, but it's a dream, the absolute dream. Um, thank you so much. Thank you. It was an honor. I appreciate that. Yeah.